Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Yetter Farm Equipment. I'm Michaela Pockner, Managing Editor at No-Till Farmer. In today's episode, we're sharing a rapid-fire panel discussion from the 2023 National No-Tillage Conference, where three no-till innovators give you their top profit-building no-till soybean ideas. You're going to hear no-till legend Randall Reeder, who moderated this panel first, followed by no-till innovator Alan Berry from West Central Illinois. That reminds me, why don't we uh, introduce yourselves by telling a little bit about where you are so we get an idea, Ed. I'm in west central Illinois, basically west of Peoria, Illinois, which is in the middle of the state, over to the Mississippi River. I'm right where the Iowa-Missouri border hits Illinois, <coughs> which is 150 miles north of here and about 30 or 40 miles west of here. One of the first things you need to do is make sure you select the right planting equipment. And uh, I believe that needs to be a planter, not a drill, so that you can get your seed uh, quantity adjusted more accurately and everything you put in the ground can get up. I'm Ross Bishop. I'm in Wisconsin. We're just north of Milwaukee. I'm 18 miles off the lake and we have rolling fields with uh, bedrock. So, and I have cattle and I farm 650 acres, corn, corn, soybeans, wheat, and I also plant some rye for uh, planting that also. I'm Dan Miller. I have um, right next to Ross here, we're neighbors actually, Wisconsin, and uh, we compete a little bit, but uh, um, uh, no, about 500 acres, no-till for 23 years, corn soybean rotation with some winter wheat in between once in a while and cover crops whenever I can get them in. Being in Wisconsin, it gets a little tricky once in a while, but we try. So, all right. So, since you're talking, why well, go ahead and give your tip? No tilling into corn stalks, soybeans. My biggest thing was uh, have a good row cleaner. Keep that mm. trash clean away so you can get a, your seed put at the proper depth in the uniform. All right. And? So I'm going to build off of him. He said you got to use a planter. So, I use a corn planter and I have row cleaners planting the corn. Um, and then also I find that we've been able to lower our population to 120 to 130. That seems to be a sweet spot for us in Wisconsin. I've done it less and you can start to see some weeds come in. So um, that's why I'm at 125, let's just say. All right, Alan? Uh, along with what he's saying there, seeding into the corn stalks, I believe you need to seed at a little bit of an angle. We use a 15-inch planter, uh, a 40-foot planter with splitters, and we plant at a little bit of an angle to the corn stalks. That way those row units are continually changing how they approach the residue from the standing corn stalks. Uh, uh, we are no-tilling our soybeans in the stalks. I didn't say so, but... Uh, we got about 3,000 acres, my son and I, and about half corn, half beans. So we're continually in a corn bean rotation. Mm -hmm. And I believe that you plant at a little bit of an angle to those stalks works best. So when we plant our soybeans, I go down the row and I have a young lady, the blonde that you see walking around, she usually runs that. And there was times where she would get off the row real easy. So we put a GPS on there so she could follow the, the screen. And that way I didn't have these skips 
and and coming across each rows. So she did a much better job. So we use GPS to keep it on the row. All right, Stan. Yep. I guess too uh, populations. Uh, years back, I was in uh, 160. I'm planting 30 inch rows, so I was in the 160 range with uh, seed population, but now I'm down to. Like think it's 135, depending on weather, stuff like that. I'll, but I'm seeing uh, yields go up with less seed. So, oh, all right, go ahead. So, started no-tilling in '97, 100 percent. Then we started putting in 08 cover crops. Now we plant green. And we're putting rye in right after the corn is harvested. And I just finished here in December. We frost feed seeded the, the rye in. Uh, I would go out early in the morning or at night when the ground was allowed me to not be mudding up the air drill. And so we're putting about 80 to 90 pounds of rye. And we'll see that come up the next year. And depending on the spring, it can be four inches. It can be almost hip high, depending on what kind of spring you have in Wisconsin. And we'll plant into that green. And uh, also with the drill going through it, we're chopping up those corn stalks. So we're seeing a benefit of that mixing of the soil and the residue by having that drill go through, putting the rye. And um, we'll see an eight bushel increase with the rye. Alan, as most of you probably know, I uh, work with Marion Calmer and have done a lot of work with the uh, uh, BT chopper uh, corn uh, stalk rolls, and I run a Calmer head with those rolls on it. So therefore, my residue is pretty well chopped up. If you've seen us at the farm shows where we've demonstrated it, many of you are running those rolls anyway. Uh, I think residue management is important. And by chopping those stalks with the uh, head, you know, our operation is actually beginning in the fall. We're laying the groundwork for next spring by chopping that residue and making it so it is not a problem. On our no-till planters, we do not use any row uh, colders out ahead. Uh, we used to have them and uh, we took them off and they're piled in the corner of the shed. We do run uh, Case IH uh, planter, which has the uh, double disc opener setting at a seven or so degree angle instead of the 11 degree angle like the other one planters have. So it doesn't make a very wide open seed slice when it goes through. Also, it has that leading edge colder and the secondary colder than the other on the other side this little smaller diameter and trails. So you don't really need a, a no-till colder out front if you're running that Case IH system. And uh, we've had very good luck with it. I guess one of the downsides to that system is we have to put new uh, leading edge colders on the planter every year because that colder, that leading edge one is doing all the cutting. And mm -hmm. so uh, you do have, it, it will wear down and it'll wear out two or three of the right, the, the one on the other side. Uh, and they are offset one half the planters one way, one half the other way, so the planter pulls straight all the time. But uh, we think that's a very good plant system to plant no-till into about any kind of ground, cover crops or whatever. Uh, I also have a case corn planter 1200 
Uh, I have 1620, so I'm in 20 inch rows. Um, going to Marion Calmer's farm three times to see his 20, 15 inch rows. And at that time he was buying tires like crazy because he was trying to get 15 inch tires down there. And so I found 20 inch row was a sweet spot. And so we plant corn 20 inch and the beans at 20 inch. And with the red planter, I bought that at 04. Um, I actually had a gentleman here tell me when I was buying it that year, you won't need to put the coulter in. And I need to share that I had a John Deere before that. I needed a coulter in front to kind of get that true V into the ground. The no-till ground was a little hard. And um, so you needed a little help to get that John Deere in the ground. With the red planter, with that lead disc, it seems to cut real well. I think I had it only four years on the red planter, that front coulter. I took it off and I don't need that anymore, that coulter and the red planter. And we also now after 29 years of no-till and cover crops for over 12 years, the ground so mellow, we took the coulter off the John Deere planter too. So as the ground gets healthier, it gets mellower, things get to go in the ground easier. Um, my tip is when we have low fertility in our soils. We need the potash and we need sulfur because we're not getting it free anymore. So I was broadcasting between 200 and 400 pounds of potash in the, in the fall with uh, sulfur, elemental sulfur. And I found out that the elemental sulfur releases over four years. So it's always feeding the crop. And when I started doing that, um, I started seeing lots of the, the soybean yields go up. Now, with the prices being $1,000 for potash, the last two years I put on, I only put on 100 to 150 pounds of potash in the fall. So we'll see where this is going with that. Uh, with the cover crops, I'm noticing we don't need as much fertilizer for the corn. It seems to do really well with the organic matter going from 1% when I started in 82 to 4%. So we're getting a nice sponge starting there with the organic matter. I, th I think you got two or three tips in there. Anybody counting? <laughs> <laughs> We're up close so, to a dozen, so go ahead. I guess uh, my tip, or um, the next thing I had is uh, the cover crops is what made my next thing, everything is a little better. Um, neighbor comes over and he's like talking about his tillage equipment, and I'm like, well, my tillage equipment is a 15-foot wide drill that goes an inch and a half deep. So that, um, that was just the cover crops been improving everything for weed control to everything, getting the biology moving, you know, stuff going through the soil, getting better. Uh, everything's working out a little better, so. Go ahead, Alan. Uh, we have a uh, 24 row, 20 inch uh, case planter that we plant our corn with. And then we've got our uh, uh, 31 uh, row, 15 inch case planter that we plant beans with. So uh, I can't split the rows like some guys do because we're running 20 inch corn, 15 inch beans. And that's another reason I run on the angle. But mm. uh, in studying university results, I think if you look, you'll almost always find that the narrower rows the beans are, the higher the yield. Uh, over in Illinois, at Monmouth, Illinois, uh, they have, I don't know if they're continuing it now, but for 10 or 15 years, 
they did studies comparing uh, the yields of different row widths and the old drills always was the highest yielding because they were generally seven and a half or 10 inch, they, they seem to think. And the wider the rows got at 15, you give up a little bit at 20, maybe a hair more, especially at 30 inch. And now we have in Illinois, quite a few people wanting to buy these great big planters, 60 foot and bigger planters. And they're moving away from the 15 inch beans, just planting them in 30s. And I think if they look at the research results, when you do that, you're definitely going to give up yield. You better go buy you an old Kinsey planter that you can buy a reasonable little sale and keep those beans in a 15 inch because that yield uh, loss when you move to those wider rows. Now the drills, I'm not advocating at all that you go do drills because generally back then, those university results, they were planting 200, 210, 220,000 seeds per acre, double the seed cost. And now when we're spending $60, $70 or more a unit for seed, you've got to start looking at seed costs. I think that makes the drill a little less likely to, to be desired. Now, question for you, Phil Dita talked about five inch spacing on wheat. Uh, uh, any thoughts on how that might work with soybeans? Well, Phil, uh, like he just said, the, the wheat definitely needs to be the even narrower rows. So that seems to be the trend with the soybeans. But, uh, but like I said, in the case of the soybeans, 15 inches is about as narrow as you're going to get a planter. And, and I think you need that planter to uh. get it so you can have that seed placed at the right depth. You want to put that seed down into moisture without burying it real deep, but uh, you know you you want to you want it there, and you don't want that unit hopping along. And when you've got a, most of our planters have got air uh, or hydraulic down pressures, so you can keep that seed depth pretty uniform, even if you're crossing some of the uh, the old stalk rows and so forth. So 15 inch soybeans with a planter might be better or at least equal to seven and a half inch or five inch with a drill? That's what we're hearing from the seed dealer because I bought a air drill this last summer, uh, 30 footer. And I was thinking that I would go to back to seven and a half spacing. And he tells me two, two seed dealers said, no, we're breeding the soybeans to be bushy. So you're going to want to stay at 15 or 20s because the beans are being bred to be bushy. And then you got the white mold and stuff. And the reason I was going back, I want to go to a drill is we're seeing weeds resistant, your water hemp, your mare's tail. And I wanted to get something that would cover the ground a little. I was thinking covering the ground better, shading it. But we're going to go 15 and um, um, 20 inch rows, they'll shade somewhere in that 4th of July. So 15 should shade a little quicker, I would think. Definitely, definitely. And you gotta drive down these fields. I mean, you gotta spray them and stuff. So 20 inch was pretty decent for spraying. All right, I don't think I've heard a tip yet related to early planting. We've heard this week about That's planting. Coming. Is that coming? All right, go right ahead with it. All right, so <laughs> um, we've, in the last almost 15 years, I've, I've planted it on the 1st of April. I've, I've literally frost seeded it. Um, 
the beans we did last year, I went to church on the 29th of April, came back home, ate and went out and planted beans that afternoon and it was mud. It was pretty, conditions weren't the best. I got five acres in the ground and those beans were hurt. There were some beans that didn't come up. It's still, it's a 23 acre field. Those five acres still yielded as good, if not better through the yield monitor than when I planted on the 10th of May. Cause that was the next time we could get back in the fields cause we were wet. So early beans will definitely yield better. I've seen where the root is out four or five inches and it'll come out, the bean will come out of the ground the same time as when you planted, let's say the fifth or the 10th, they all come out together. But that bean has got a root started already. And if I'm planting early, I make sure I use treated beans. Once I get past, let's say the 10th or the 15th of May, it's warming up, then I, do not have treated beans. I saved that money and I've been able to get away with saving money that way. I think the reason you got good, uh, good yields from planting in the mud on Sunday was you went to church first. <laughs> I'm sure the good Lord was looking over me. Yeah. Okay, okay I guess yeah. I got, I'd like to plant earlier, but I can't quite get to that point yet because I have some seed corn uh, wire, wireworm issues with planting early like that, and um, it's always because the soil's cold, the soil's a little on the wet side, and I struggle with that, it seems like, and I don't want to put an insecticide down because I don't want to hurt my biology. Mm. But I see what you get, and I, I, everyone is pushing it always earlier because of the light, and that's, that's what was mentioned here, um, getting the means in early, but... That's one thing I guess I struggle with. So if anyone's got any inputs uh, how to, uh, you know, get beyond that point. Because yeah. to give you an idea yield wise, um, so I was planting a 2.5 uh, maturity bean. And when you ran the combine through the, the field, you were seeing 80 to 85 bushel average, or I should say in spots, it averaged 65 where I had planted May 10th, that was averaging just two bushel less. So that is the, the, what we saw this year is a 63 average across the full farm. I had some 1.9 beans, and of course along the trees you got hardly anything, but in the middle of field that was hitting 90, 92 bushel. And that was planted in cover crop. That was um, wheat, planted into a 10-way uh, mix of cover crops, and then planted the beans into that. And we're talking probably knee-high rye at the time, because I always make sure rye is coming into the spring. And so we're seeing a huge benefit planting into, into a mix. You've got to have a cocktail to bring that biology alive. So no-till and cover crops, you will see your ground explode in yields. Uh, Corn-wise, I've seen 10 years of no-till, no cover crops, average about 135 bushel. We bring in the cover crops and three years later, we're seeing 200 plus. It really changes the biology and it makes the ground really produce well. And my nitrogen for corn is still at 140. I have not 
increased it, and I'm starting to lower that now to, to experiment. Where where can I go with that? Is it lower? So I know this was for beans, but just to give you an idea of the biology of the soil with corn and beans. Was that planting green? You, planting green. Planting green in the cover crop. Uh, how, uh, that's hard to say, but how many of you are planting uh, soybeans or corn green? Wow, that's a pretty good number. Pretty good. That's a pretty, pretty good, good number. Uh, yeah. Talking about early planting, uh, several years ago, I have done a lot of research work on one of my farms in particular, and uh, we went out in the middle of January. The ground happened to be in pretty good condition. I went out and planted about a quarter of an acre of beans just to see what would happen. Those beans, of course, laid there in the cold soil, didn't germinate. First of April, they came up. And then I got a little nervous, are they gonna freeze off or not? Uh, that particular year, uh, we didn't have any real cold weather, but what did happen to me about the 20th or so of April when the beans were just up maybe a couple inches high, bean leaf beetles just flooded the place because bean leaf beetles <laughs> are an insect problem we can have. And that particular year we had them and they always go to soybeans. They're never much of a problem because everybody around, all of our beans are coming up. But when you've got a quarter of an acre <laughs> in a county or the state probably, we had all the bean leaf beetles and they just stripped them. So uh, I thought, hmm, well, we've lost those, of course, gonna have to replant. Didn't do anything with them. They did come on, leaf back out, and now that was just a little plot. We never took it to harvest, but they did come back and make beans. So we did plant beans in January one year and, <laughs> and, and did have harvestable beans, but don't recommend that at all. Wisconsin, the planter wouldn't even go in. Well, we frozen yet. Most of the most of the years were froze out too, but that particular year. It, we I'm usually here, so I wouldn't be planting. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment. Yetter is your answer for success in the face of ever-changing production agriculture challenges. Yetter offers a full lineup of planter attachments designed to perform in varying planting conditions. Yetter products maximize your inputs, save you time, and deliver return on your investment. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. Anyway, early planting, I think, is important. In our area, one of the things we look at in variety selection is full season. Uh, we've used a lot of earlier season beans different times, but they just never seem to yield. We grow a 3.8 to a 4.0. They're usually ready to harvest the 1st of October. In our system, we like to start harvesting corn soon after Labor Day, as soon as it gets down to 26 or below, mm. and go at it, have half of our corn out before we ever start the beans. And our 3.8 maturity to fours come in, they're ready to harvest, usually the first 10 days or so of October. And so that's where we like to harvest mm. them. Then we'll go back and finish the corn. And we do do a lot of jumping back and forth, depending on how the weather goes. Uh, we do certainly experience that five, six, eight bushel yield loss in that corn. When we're harvesting corn in September, quit for a week or so, 10 days, come back, same fields, invariably there'll be a five or six bushel yield loss. That moisture's dropped 
you know, from the, by then 20, 21, 22, down to 17 or 18, and, and there's a hidden loss there. So hmm. you need to be timely with everything you do. The soybeans, we love to harvest soybeans when they're about 14, 15%, but a lot of times that's hard to do. You don't want 9% beans, and we get that sometimes, but you can't help it. But you need to be geared up when those beans are ready to harvest, go harvest them. And like I say, we get the best yields with the longest season beans we can reasonably grow in our area. I don't know how, you know, I know you guys are playing with much shorter maturities, but do you use longer season or really short season for where you're at? I would say commonly people are in that 1.7 to 2 and they're trying to combine we usually are in the field the last week of september or first of october doing the beans and we don't look at corn until probably the end of october november combining corn um so yeah it's amazing how you guys can get going so quick well we use dryer systems of course and you know we're running it through the dryers and putting it in yep. beans with big fans and you know Normally by us to I'll push it to a, a 2.6 at the most, but not a lot, just my high ground stuff I get in early. But um, come harvest, we will uh, put them in the bins, dry them if we have to, just to get them off, because we don't want, we've had a two where he had 12% beans, nine, you know, so then it's too dry, then you get the shatter when you hit the, Hit the window. When yep, when you're hitting the windshield. Then you know they're too dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I usually plant a, 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 a 1.7, 1.9, and a 2.5. And for whatever reason, last year, the 1.8s, 1.9s did extremely well. I was telling you they were hitting eight, 80, 90 bushel. It averaged 73 in that field. Uh, I want to go back to planting green. So every spring is different. Sometimes that rye can be four inches tall when we're planting, and I'll let that grow until it gets to be about knee high. I'm not, I, with experience now, I'm not afraid to let it get to be knee high, and that can be somewhere around the 15th or 20th of May. We'll kill that rye off, and I'll put chemical down. Um, there's been some years where it was knee high when we we're planting. I think 2019, we had a really wet year. Um, 2021 was a good year. It was very warm spring and that rye was getting up there. So somewhere in that um, knee high, it gets to be hip high, I'm killing it because um, the beans seem to work through it, but it, it, knee high seems to be a, a sweet spot. Don't let it get past knee high, plant green with rye. And so, um, and then we'll come back somewhere around the fourth with a second spray. One thing I think if you're planting earlier season beans for your area, earlier maturing ones, you always want to plant those first and earlier, at least in our area. Sometimes we'll have people or even ourselves, maybe we've got a field we want to tile or something, so we want to get them out early. We'll go ahead and maybe plant a, uh, a uh, 282930, but you want to plant that dude in April so he gets up, gets some growth. Uh, otherwise, he, he really suffers. The later in the year the season gets, the longer season bean you want to be putting in the ground. We, of course, we're in a double crop area where we plant, uh, you know, beans after wheat, double cropping, and so forth. 
and we always use a 3.8 or so maturity in that area. Uh, you don't plant a short season bean late because they won't get any vegetative growth at all and then they start flowering and they just don't do much. Uh, all right, was that the first mention of uh, double crop soybeans? What are, are either of you doing that too? Well, if we, I, we've never been able to get the weed off the ground or off the field. It's usually about that third week in July. The, the latest I've ever planted beans was um, two years ago. We got a frost on Memorial Weekend, and it killed some of the beans. And I didn't go out and replant those spots until the 10th of July. So I'm coming in to harvest that field where the beans were alive. They were ready to be harvested. Where I planted them on July 10th, they were greener than green. There was no way you were going to combine them. I came back late, the last field of combine, they still yielded 33 bushel. Hmm. I was amazed how they could do that. Um, I'm gonna go back to spraying. When I spray my second post in, in the 4th of July, or boy four, um, I use Cobra at a half rate. And so I'm dinging the beans and I will see an, uh, a boost in yield because of that. The beans suddenly say, you hurt me and I've got to put on beans and pods. It shortens them up. So um, I also do that in my second spray. A question just came to my mind. I've heard quite a bit about high lake soybeans having being more profitable. Now, are you getting into high, high oil soybeans or is that an issue yet? In our area, we don't really have a market that I'm aware of much for the high oil beans. We do have a good market for non-GMO and they're paying as much as two and a half, three dollars a bushel premium for non-GMO. Because of the resistance to the glyphosate, a lot of farmers figure, well, I'm going to have a few weeds in my beans anyway. And some of the better managing Farmers in the area do grow non-GMO beans now, a lot of times over on the back 40, so nobody can see it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you plant some non-GMO beans to get that premium, and they're going back using a lot of the old herbicides like we used in the old days, you know, the old Bassagran days or whatever, Flexstars and so forth. And uh, if they've got reasonably clean fields to work with, Maybe they've used some cover crops to keep things cleaner and they're planting some non-GMO beans. So uh, that seems to be the premium that they are going for in our area. We do the same with corn. We're 100% non-GMO corn because uh -huh. we've got a market in our area. Uh, I plant most of my 20 inch corn on the good soils at 40, 42,000. Our lighter soils, 36. And so we're using a unit uh, of seed only gets a couple acres, uh, we buy our non-GMO corn seed, good seed, for a couple hundred bucks a unit, whereas we'd be paying 300. So we're saving 50 bucks an acre on seed costs with the corn. And uh, then if we can get a premium of 20, next year's 25 cents, a couple hundred bushel, you got a $50 premium, you got a hundred dollars there to play with, five, six dollar corn, you could take, you could take a 15, 20 bushel yield hit, uh. We don't think we're taking any yield hit as of yet. Uh, we're gonna have to watch it because of some of the insect problems and so forth. But in a corn bean rotation, that system's working. And now uh, this year for the first time, I planted uh, 300 acres of wheat in the corn stalks 
We're in a corn bean rotation. I planted the wheat and we did plant it at the, uh, oh, basically two, uh, about 250,000 seeds per acre the 1st of October, planning to take it to yield, but it's a earlier variety of wheat for our area. I plan to harvest it around the 20th to the 25th of June, put it in some corn bins I've got that's got good fans and aeration floors and get my double crop beans planted and my goal is 75, 80 bushel of wheat and come back. At that point in time in our area, we could expect to raise 50, 55 bushel beans maybe. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and then we're still in our corn bean rotation and then we can do whatever we want with the cover crop. This wheat, I can call it a cover crop if I don't like the looks of it come next March 30th yeah. and I'll spray it and, or whatever yeah. and, and treat it as, you know, as a, as a cover crop. Instead of using cereal rye, which has no value to me come next spring, other than maybe it's a better, a better cover crop than a wheat choice, but I'm still keeping that green bridge going. Uh, I've grown a little wheat over the years but and double crop, but usually it's only been you know, 40, 50 acres. But this year we did put in 300 acres with the intention that uh, mm. uh, now we've got wheats that mature earlier so we can harvest earlier mm. and we'll come back with our beans. So it keeps our corn bean rotation going. We're getting three crop, trying to get three crops in two seasons two off of it. Yeah. And, uh, and have that green bridge that we talk about going all the time, something growing green out there. And, and that's a good good point about uh, harvesting the wheat early. Phil Needham mentioned that earlier, and the yield advantage of planting soybeans uh, the earlier, what was it, one, one bushel per day. Uh, so if you can get it in a week earlier. And uh, I'm from Ohio State University, and I remember the, a faculty member when I started there in 1979 had a fact sheet on, on harvesting wheat early and drying it just for this same reason, to get it, get it out of the ground so you could uh, double crop soybeans quicker. So it's been around a while, Phil, and it's a good idea that, uh, that uh, sound like, despite the cost of drying, right? As long as LP or natural gas isn't too high. Go ahead. We find that when we combine the wheat and that um, in July, the third week, it'll be 17, 18% moisture. That's it's a little, little harder to combine because we're taking we, at least a half the plant. But that is usually the best test weight. It's always 60, 61, 62 test weight. When it starts to get some rain on it, it, it dries down, it gets wet again, you start losing test weight as the time goes on. So that was always your best test weight. Never harvested wheat that wet before, but I'm planning, planning to this year. Yep. It's not easy to get it in keep it in the combine yeah. it likes to go out the ass end so um i want to go back to soybeans where we i put a noculant and a graphx sa on all my beans i've done multiple tests where it was a bean field i planted beans back into it again and i will see a three to four bushel increase because i put that on there there's something about that inoculant that SA that will boost your yields. And then going all the way to combining, Marion says a lot of good things on YouTube about how to set up your combine for combining soybeans. The first, I have a 2388 red combine, and the first 
concave, I put those strips in so that the beans are shelling themselves through that first foot. And it will make the combine work hard or harder, but you will get all your beans out unless the bean pods are not mature, but it does a phenomenal job of getting those beans out of the pods. And so then the rest is all the sieves work to get them separated. I feel like I need to ask the audience, anybody have a question or a topic that we haven't covered yet that, that needs to be covered? It was stated that when the spacing on the planters was different, from what was previously used, that you planted at an angle. So is there a, do you always use the same angle or is that dependent on, or a function of the spacing of the two different planters? How do you determine the angle or approximate angle you're going to use based on the different row spacings of your crops? Well, our, you know, our corn rows are planted back and forth. The most efficient way to plant the field when we come in with the beans, we just take a small angle. Usually with our 40-foot uh, planter, we're probably going to be about two to three planter widths off in a quarter mile run to give you an idea. So it's not a real sharp angle at all. Then the other important thing we think when we're no-tailing, we come back and combine the beans, we combine them at the other angle from the way they were planted, and that spreads, helps to spread that bean residue a little bit of a, an angle behind the combine, so that when we come back and no-till plant corn again, that corn planter then is continually changing the approach the way it hits the residue. So corn rows straight, plant the beans a little bit of an angle here, <laughs> harvest a little bit of an angle there, it, tends to keep your field a little leveler, I think, so you don't get so much of this from tracking and stuff. And uh, that, that's kind of the way we go about doing it. I've been no-tilling for almost 40 years and looking at it under a microscope, the grid sampling inch by inch, I feel that over those 40 years, I've kind of sucked the fuel out of the soil where the roots are at and it's kind of gone empty. And then I've been putting fertilizer on the surface. So now I think I've got all the fuels at the top and 40 years of no-till, I've, I've sucked the goody out of the soil. I guess I would be interested in your thoughts. I, you guys are long-term no-tillers as well. Um, for those that are the younger, what's your thoughts on stratification or how do you apply fertilizer or are we just worrying about something that's really not a problem? Hmm. Well, you and I had a talk the other night about this, yeah. and you had said you hadn't done any cover crops yet. And when I walk out in the fields that have got cover crops, I even got video, the uh, earthworms, they're just loaded. And I've got pictures where they're grabbing the trash like you saw, pulling them down. So you've got all these conduits going down into the ground. You've got your roots that are going three to five feet, let's say. We're finding out that grasses are excellent for breaking up compaction. It isn't just the radishes that do it, it's the fine hairs that your annual rye grass, your winter rye, those grasses will penetrate feet down. And I believe that we're seeing that move with all that nutrition, with the roots, with the army worm, and I mean the, the 
worms that are the red worms. And so I'm spreading my, I'm broadcasting my fertilizer over the top. I'm banning when I plant my corn, my fertilizer. I took all my applications. I don't put it in the ground. I just dribble it off the back. And we're seeing, there's times where you'll see 250 to 300 bushel corn in places where we have decent soil. Um, you know we have a lot of bedrock. There's places where I only got six inches topsoil and it's bedrock. You go about four days without a rain and it's dry already, you will see that corn shrink in half in less than a week. So we don't have ideal eight foot soil like Illinois and stuff does. Um, so I feel that that cover crop helps mix that nutrition, if I say it that way, in the worms. Many years ago, we, back in the 1970s, 80s era, we started root zone banding our local crop production people started pulling toolbars behind their three-wheel uh, big A's and interrogators and were knifing in the anhydrous. And on that machine, of course, they had the tank, so they carried uh, suspension fertilizer, liquid fertilizers. And so they would knife in our N, P, and K. And they did that for years. It became a fairly difficult thing for them to do because one of those machines in the fall after harvest could only get a couple thousand acres done. And if you had two or three machines like the company had, maybe they'd get six, eight, 10,000 acres in a fall. And this is a company that wants to fertilize 50,000 acres. So it just became impractical for them to do it. So they, they stopped doing it. However, that meant that all of our NPNK was banded in and we thought we was getting good results with it. We had check plots and stuff where we got yield increases. I think the yield increase came because the fertilizer was in a band and not broadcast. Uh, I think fertilizer is somewhat like when you're feeding hogs and Marion can relate to this and some of the other uh, older faces out here. In the old days, the old sows run around out here in the pasture and you took a five gallon bucket of corn and you kind of give it a sling around over the field, the, the feedlot, and the old sow would go get a kernel here and a kernel there and one over here. The fat hogs, you didn't feed that way. You fed the fat hogs at the trough and the fat hogs all sat right there and ate and you know got fat fairly quick. And I think our plant roots are the same way. If you've got that fertilizer in a band, and I haven't talked to Marion about this because he's talking about uh, wanting to fan out under the ground and spread his nutrients, but I'm not so sure if you're gonna put it in a band and you can keep it into 30 inches or less, you know, you're never gonna have your plant roots very far away, whether it be beans or whether it be corn, they're gonna fan out 10, 12 inches. And I think the roots are gonna grow and find that band and they're gonna sit there and feed in that concentrated band, as opposed to spreading all out and trying to go get a little pea over here and a little dab of K there and another root goes here. And the roots, what we've seen, they only reach what, like 5% of the actual soil that the roots actually get in anyway. So, uh, you, you know, if, if you've got that concentrated band, you can, I, I think you can, uh, I think a lot of our gain is coming from banding and I agree with you. I think our plants are taking that stuff up, putting it down. I mean, I've farmed for 70 years and, you know, we're... Every root, weed or um, radish, when that root breaks down, 
That's nutrition. That's nutrition. That's yeah. a hole that air can get into. We're at a point where last year we had a five-inch rain in the end of June. It got soaked in. It hardly any ran off. Then we didn't get a rain until the 27th of July. It was a 4.2-inch rain. That did not run off. It soaked in. Healthy soils. We have biology in the soil. It's a sponge. We have this sponge that sucks up that water, that four-inch rain, and that's all nutrients in there to feed the plant. Yeah, emphasize that injecting the fertilizer. <laughs> no, Get it down six to eight inches deep is ideal. It uh, solves myriad stratification problem. Of course, cover crops pretty well solve his stratification problem also. But Marion, my suggestion to you would be is to uh, do a cover crop and give it a cocktail mix. Go with some, get some diversity, get some, get something with some roots. So you get that cycle going, you know, that's. Okay, we got a question or a comment from the audience. Are any of you using any sugar type products or other foliar things? I'm not. I play with sugar. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to putting nitrogen down for the corn, when I side dress, I drop two with the sprayer. I'm putting three pounds of powdered, just regular sugar in with the 28. I'm putting five gallons of ammonium sulfate, and I'm putting three pounds of boron. And I'm putting this down at about 80 to 90 units of N. So around 35 to 40 gallons altogether. And I'm putting this down when the corn's probably in that chest high. And then I'll come right back and put fungicide down because we have tar spot. But the sugar will stabilize the, the, the N in the 28 and the ammonium sulfate will stabilize it. So I don't need to put any agartane or anything with it. And the sugar, it, it, it kind of fools the biology in the soil. This is really good. We like sugar. It's like candy bar for us. So these are all things that are good for the environment. It's not organic, but it's good for the plants or the animals, the creatures that are in the soil. I use a little sugar, and I think it's feeding them microbes. And you got to keep that microbial activity going. And I think the right. you, like you're doing works. Anybody had an issue with slugs? I've had some slugs, but I want to go back to molasses. When I plant in the spring, and if it's really cool or cold in the spring, let's say May 1st, I'm planting corn. I'll put a gallon of molasses in with my starter, which is going on top of the seed. And I'm putting zinc, and I use a 918.9 or a 624.6, which is 60% orphal, so it's less salt. And I find that this works really well to get the corn going. It, it comes out of the ground quicker. You may not see a yield increase, but check the test weight and the moisture of the corn. It'll be a point or more less, and the test weight will be at least a point or two more because that corn came out of the ground quicker. And the molasses I found over all the years will come out of the ground 12 hours sooner because the sugars are warming up all the biology in the soil. After the 15th or the 20th, it's warming up already in the, in the spring, I'll take the molasses out. I don't need to use it because it doesn't seem to help. All right, by my math, we've had 47 tips. <laughs> so we got 
three more here. So I guess you go down the line, Aaron. Uh, you're tip number 48. <laughs> one simple one I think that everybody needs to be aware of is handle your soybean seed like it is a living organism because it is. And I know uh, a lot of people, especially for handling the old 50 pound bags, you tend to toss them and whatever. <clears throat> they tell me that that is not a good idea, that handle the seed gently. Mm. Be careful if you're running augers, you need to be using belts to move it on. And you know, you don't want to get it to split, but you'll get split. That's a live organism in there and, mm -hmm. and handling gently and don't fool with him in sub-zero temperatures or you know, when it's real yes. cold because right. you're gonna damage him more. So, so handle your seeds, your seeds like like a baby. I guess. All right, number 49. So when I spray my second spray of wheat spray in the around the first of July. I will put three gallons of a 9189, some type of starter, with the Cobra. Um, I used to try a little bit of boron, and Russell was getting 117 bushel beans, if I saw that right. And I asked him, I said, what do you feel would be the top three things to do? And he said, put boron at the beginning of the season, and then when I spray the second time, put some more boron foiler. So I'm going to practice, or I should say, try some boron foiler in the second spray. But that was um, something I never put is the boron in. Good idea. All right, wrap okay. us up. I guess my thing would be is uh, watch your seed germination. Um, last year, I know a lot of companies, the seed germination wasn't quite to where it was supposed to be. There was some lower germination. And if you're uncertain, even if it says it's, you know, they're 90 some percent or whatever, um, check it. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, go by, my, go by my wife and grab a cookie sheet and throw a couple soybeans out there and uh, cover them up with some paper towel and you'll see if they germ, you know, to, that's a simple, easy test how to do it, you know, but um, yeah, watch that germ, All right. you know, especially people planting lower populations. Yeah. <laughs> All right, since I'm up here, I got to close with a Will Rogers quote. <laughs> and I, and I, I think this applies to all of you. Uh, a farmer has to be an optimist or he wouldn't still be a farmer. <laughs> we agree. Amen on that. Thanks to Alan, Ross, Stan, and Randall for today's conversation. A video and transcript for this episode are available at no-tillfarmer.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to pose your own questions to a panel of no-till innovators, I invite you to join me at the 2024 National No-Tillage Conference in January. Go to notillconference.com to register. And use code PODCAST when checking out to save $50 on your registration. Many thanks to Yetter Farm Equipment for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. From all of us here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Michaela Pockner. Thanks for listening.